people, welcome to another episode of Strength vs. Dang with your host here, Eric Dystra. Today I get to talk about one of my most passionate areas, developing a growth mindset. One of the things you're going to learn real fast about me is that I love to learn and I believe that we were made to grow. And one of the images I was just kind of getting ready to prepare for this episode was just seeing ourselves being a plant and what we're planted in. If you know what's needed for a plant to grow, it's a rich soil that has all the nutrients needed. And I once had a friend share with me that our lives are like being, our, our lives physically are like um, a plant that is planted in good soil. And that soil is being in Christ and having a relationship with him and really being rooted in grace. We've talked a lot about building a strong foundation for our lives and uh, for a plant to grow, which it was created to do. It needs the elements like water and sunlight in a good soil so that its roots can grow deep and produce the fruit that it was supposed to produce. So think about that in terms of our lives, because I believe that God created us to develop a growth mindset. It even says in the gospel of John that Jesus grew in grace and favor. And even from a young age, if you look at the life of Jesus, he spent a lot of his early days at the temple learning and being taught. And then people were astounded and amazed at the level and the authority of which he taught. And I just love to imagine Jesus as a child and teaching and with wisdom and, and understanding because he was in direct relationship already with his heavenly father, receiving the love of God, receiving the wisdom and the favor that was only accessed through an abiding uh, relationship with his heavenly father. And so we can be encouraged today to know that our lives are meant to grow. And another thing that I've said often is that when we're being led by the spirit and living out of our true identity and the heart that God has given us, our life tends to expand in so many different ways. And so we're going to dive in today and talk about just some different aspects of how you can develop a growth mindset and really what is a growth mindset. Because I want to start by just saying this, that there's really two kind of mindsets that I've observed in life. And one is a growth mindset. And in a growth mindset, we're always uh, looking for ways or opportunities that we can learn or that we can grow. Because a big part of us maturing uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually is our ability to, to learn and to grow, whether that be relational skills, whether it be emotional skills, whether it be physical uh, tasks that we learn, trades that we learn, athletic ability, playing music, uh, developing a career, we, we learn things. And if we don't, we would just remain an infant on a lot of levels and not being able to accomplish and fulfill everything that we've been created to do. And then there's the stagnant mindset, which is really an illustration of a life that no longer wants to learn, doesn't want to grow, and it just wants to remain where it's at. And I believe that's not the intention or the desire of God's heart for the Christian life. Because once you find Christ and you place your life and your faith and your trust in him, 
you begin to see that life becomes very exciting and he fills you with a new level of vision, a sense of being fulfilled in life and a drive and a motivation where uh, the sky's the limit and there's no lid above you in terms of your leadership, in terms of your identity, in terms of um, whatever it is that's before you, you have the ability to continue to grow. And to, an image that came to my mind for this was just, if you think about the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because the water is stagnant and it just remains. It has no outlets. There's uh, not a lot of movement in the water and it's, it's dead. They call it dead for a reason is because there's nowhere for it to go. There's no flow of anything in it. So that might be an image you have of a stagnant mindset, one where not a lot comes in, not a lot goes out. Now think of a, a reservoir that has many different outlets uh, that begins to flow into a river. And I grew up on the Mississippi River. And as you know, as it kind of goes down south, um, you know, all these different sources and streams come together and they flow into the ocean. And as you know, that as, uh, as it has an outlet, there's life, there's movement, and it flows into something greater. And that's really the image that God's given me for our lives. And I believe it can be one that we can take into having a growth mindset and what that entails as well. I want you to think about this in terms of your own life for a minute is how do you respond when you're uh, being coached in a certain skill and you realize that there's a lot of room for improvement, there's a lot of skill that you need to develop and the coach comes alongside of you and really begins to push you or challenge you or show you new ways of doing the task. I'm sure if you're like me, at first it becomes very uncomfortable and they begin to challenge you, they begin to push you. And even on days where they push you to the limit where you feel like I can't go on and you just wanna give up. But you think about what that produces in you is it produces a resolve and it shows you that someone believes in you and sees the potential that you have to perfect that skill or the art or whatever it is that you're putting your time, energy, and effort into. And I believe that's God's very heart for us as well. As he begins to coach us, there's a lot of different um, terminology in scripture. Some say pruning. You know, it's like in John 15, where he talks about pruning. The father prunes us back in order for more pr fruit to be produced. Uh, the refiner's fire is often another image that I've heard about the, the whole purifying process of, of gold and how all the impurities are brought through extreme heat. Being in the wilderness or being in a desert, a very dry time, and then when we come out of it, God filling us with life and it bubbles up like a river flowing inside of us. And we become detuned uh, to that flow and that rhythm of the Holy Spirit in us. And so these are just a few of the images that all have to do with our growth, our development, our continuous progression into something new. And for a while now, we've been talking about what it means to live into our new identity. And really, when we come to Christ, uh, you know, salvation is about entering into that relationship. But in any relationship, take marriage, for example, is if we come in one way and that's the way we want to live our life the rest of our marriage, it's probably not going to be a very enthusiastic, energetic, outgoing uh, type of marriage that has a lot of flexibility and 
uh, movement and progression in it, it's just going to remain the way that it always has. And I think for a couple, they wouldn't want to just be a stagnant couple. You're always having to kind of reinvent yourselves and um, be challenged. And that's one of the great things about marriage and having a partner too, is that God provides the other person to sharpen ourselves and to, to get more out of us. And so that process of being challenged or coached or someone coming alongside of us can often be uncomfortable, but the purpose of that is for it to create movement. And what movement does is that it creates a momentum in our lives. And when your life has momentum, you start to connect with creativity, you start to be intuitive, you start to tap into deeper levels of wisdom and application and leadership. And really it's the key that's going to unlock so much more of the rich treasures that we've talked about so many times that are only found in Christ. And as we grow deeper into our identity in him and discover more of who he is, the more creativity, the more of our true self begins to emerge. And when I look at some of the people that I know in my life who are just doing remarkable, incredible things, who have written so many books and have so many different ministries that are going on, and it's you look at their lives and you just think, how is a person in a human life possibly capable of accomplishing all these things because they're finding their source of life in in the very river uh, that scripture talks about the river of life the river of god and as it's unlocked the holy spirit births these new things in us and the fruit is a byproduct of our deepening relationship with christ and so be encouraged today that you are being strengthened in the circumstances that you're in, in the pressing that you might feel. It's producing a level of strength and stability and endurance and resilience in you to uh, prepare you for what is ahead. We've talked in the last uh, couple of weeks about the role of being prepared and you know, being prepared and cultivating our heart is a key way um, that we need to approach the Lord with a clean and a pure heart. We talked about that on Monday, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And so today, I want to just give you a couple scriptures in the book of Matthew that Matthew talks about. And one of the things I love the book of Matthew um, that it hits on is this idea of the kingdom of God being revealed in the person of Jesus. Because when Jesus came into the world, he ushered in a new kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew is filled with that language about the kingdom of heaven is like, and he really captured a lot of what um, Jesus taught about in parables and, and helping us understand it in our human mind and our human brain uh, to be able to comprehend the deep truth and wisdom through story and through parable. And those were some of the ways that Jesus taught so that we could connect with it in our spirit. And in our spirit, we would have to discern and make meaning and understanding of what he actually said. So I want to look at Matthew chapter six, when Jesus takes them up, and this is often called the Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And I find it very interesting that Jesus had a bunch of people gathered in this region. So he goes up onto a high place and another term for this is called the Beatitudes. And one of the ways I've heard it described is that 
these are attitudes that we take that are from the kingdom of heaven. They are above any earthly mindset or attitude that we can have. But when we align our mindset and our thinking uh, in terms of the kingdom of heaven, it elevates you to a higher level of living and seeing and perceiving and speaking about the world around you. And even in loving relationships around us, the ability to live from a place of love. So before I share this um, from Matthew 6, I once had a coach uh, that I worked with through FCA that often said this is always remind them at the beginning of practice that there's going to be elements to the game that you can't control. And so don't get overwhelmed by those things. But if you show up to every practice and every game and the two things that you can control, your attitude and the effort that you're going to give today. And I've always just been so inspired and encouraged by that statement. And that can be a great approach to life. It can be a great approach in how we approach our Heavenly Father. Is that I'm going to give my best effort every day and in every moment. I'm going to give my best effort to my wife. I'm going to give my best effort to my husband, my kids, my workplace, uh, the kids that I coach. Whatever profession you're in, if you control those two things, I guarantee you there's going to be good fruit. Your effort and your attitude of this is my mindset. And there's a lot of negativity that goes on in the world today, but being trained in, in a kingdom way to think on the things above, as Paul said in Colossians 3 and Philippians 4, setting your mind on the things that are good, that are noble, on the heavenly realities and the kingdom mindsets, that is going to serve you well in life. So I just wanted to hit on a couple of things in Matthew 6. Uh, these are called the Beatitudes, but listen to the language from this. And this is a, in the Passion Translation, but these are things that you can take away from. And I just wanted to kind of make you aware of them. In verse 6 of chapter 5 in Matthew, it says, How enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. In 2 Corinthians 5. Paul said that you are the righteousness of Christ. And it says that Christ died so that we would become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is often termed as right standing with God. But when you have a desire in a heart that begins to change, we looked at Ezekiel 36 on Monday. Yeah, God will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And when you're reborn, you begin to have a greater desire for righteousness. And to live a holy life, as Peter called it, said, be holy for I am holy. And God's invitation for us is to live according to the kingdom. And he says, if you pursue righteousness and for the ones who pursue being righteous, their lives will be fruitful. And I think for all of us, our deepest desire is to live a life that is fruit. So many times in Matthew, he talked about a tree. And a, a good tree with good roots and a good foundation will produce good fruit. And a bad tree that has bad roots and um, is damaged is going to produce bad fruit. And this is equivalent to the condition of our heart. And it really begins to show that if we're really pursuing righteousness and seeing ourselves as the righteousness of God, our lifestyle is going to be one that looks very different to the world. And it's going to be a light. There's going to be a sense of love that comes from it. 
that really begins to tap into the potential and the identity of those around you. Next verse says how satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy. For tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. And mercy is another one of those gifts that scripture often talks about. And when I look at the life of Jesus, I just see nothing but mercy in the way that he interacted with so many people. I mean, the ones that come to mind are the woman at the well in John chapter four. God had mercy on her. The woman who was called an adult adultery. Jesus said to the crowd, if you have no sin, then go ahead and cast the first stone. And, and he restored the dignity and the character of that woman. And he didn't condemn her. He didn't judge her. But he said, go and sin no more. And she left. And I believe she was so touched by her mercy that it, it, it birthed something inside of her that she had never experienced before. Because for once in her life, there was someone that didn't condemn her, but saw her for who she was. And I've had so many people in my life who have extended mercy. And when you experience mercy from a loving God or from a loving person, it empowers something deep within you and it unlocks a part of you that is very genuine and is going to allow the character of Christ to come forward. The next one says, what bliss do you experience when your heart is pure? For then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. And that's a cry of my heart is to see more and more of God on a daily basis. And I hope that's the cry and the desire of your heart as well. Because he says, when your heart is pure, you'll begin to see more and more of him. The more things that are cluttered internally within us and the emotions that are locked in uh, that we can't seem to get out of. When we allow Jesus to come in and to heal us, it sets us free and to live from a purity, to see more of who he is. And he says, how blessed you are when you make peace, for then you will be recognized as a true child of God. Being recognized as a true child of God is what this world desperately needs. And I just want to encourage you today that the peacemakers are, are going to have a significant role in the days ahead because we carry a peace. And John 14 says that only Jesus can give because he said that I come to give peace, not as the world gives do I give, but I give you my peace. And I want you to feel that peace and just connect with his peace because he says when you demonstrate the peace of God, you can shift environments and atmospheres around you. When my wife uh, and I were, our parents and our kids were young, um, one of the things that always amazed me was uh, in those times where the, our child was upset and I was frustrated or I was irritated and just seeing my wife come into those situations and the peace that she brought in by just holding the child and the child would see how peaceful that she was. It would just calm what our child, whoever it was. Um, and that's a great illustration of what uh, being in the presence of Christ really is like. It gives us a sense of peace and it quiets our heart. And, and it's a demonstration of who God really is in our lives. And so 
this is just a couple. I would encourage you just to spend some time in these because these are kingdom attitudes or postures or heart conditions, I often call them, that if we're willing to apply these things to our life, it produces a hunger and a growth inside of us. Because if in, in order to remain spiritually hungry, you've got to be intentional about your own development and you've got to find ways and creative ways at, at, at most to engage with God. And I want to just give you some practical things that I've done in my life that have stirred up hunger and, and growth in my life. You've probably heard of things like spiritual gift assessment tests. Uh, this is a great thing that um, I would highly recommend. There are some great ones out there. And several years ago, I was introduced to some of these. And as I took these tests and I got the results back, I was just absolutely amazed because when I read it, uh, it was like I was reading an exact description of myself and I had no idea how these tests began to analyze and understand these parts of me because I felt like as I read it, uh, it described something that I didn't have language for yet. And I said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And one of those things that recently I've gone back to is this little book called Strength Finders. And in this, there's uh, quite a few different gifts, but you take this gift uh, assessment test and you go through and read it and it gives you your top four or five. And here's the thing that I was amazed at for me. And I'll give you a little bit of an insight into who I am. So input was one of mine. And the person with input loves to collect data, loves to read, um, and they're very intrigued by being able to give valuable input and insight into situations and relationships. And so that really described me to a T because I love to learn, I love to grow, I love to cultivate in another person that desire to grow because I've had people who have demonstrated that for me. Uh, I'm a learner. Uh, I love to learn. I love to collect things. Um, and, and that really stirs the ability to be able to teach because I love to teach. I love to uh, help other people find creative ways of connecting with the Lord. Uh, intellectual is, a, is another one. And a, a person like this loves to just uh, gather the data, gather insights and really be able to package them and put them in ways that can help other people. Um, and it, it's motivated by serving other people with, with loving other people, uh, giving insight into them. And the last one that I had on that list was a maximizer is that I love to maximize the potential, uh, the different gifts, the different skills in terms of leadership and empowering people and encouraging people. And they're always looking to get the most out of something. And they don't want to take, they want to take something that's average and make it great because their mark is excellence. And so uh, as, a, as, a, as a former athlete, uh, I was always about being excellent in the terms of what I lead and what I do. I always want to do it in a level of excellence. And uh, a person that really defined that to me in scripture that I looked to was Daniel, because it said that he had a spirit of excellence about him and you look at the fruit of his life, it was because he was focused on the Lord and he didn't compromise his identity and a whole secular culture began to be transformed, but yet Daniel remained rooted in love and he loved the king that was wicked even to the point where he was able to interpret his dreams and have influence 
and he, he served that culture in a way that redeemed it and helped restore that culture. And I believe that's what God is gifting us to do in this hour today is, is to be the modern day equivalent of Daniel's and to, to serve people, to love them well. And so uh, spiritual assessment gifts um, are, are a great way to do that. And I've taken some other ones. There was one called Uniquely You that I took when I was on staff with FCA, but uh, these are great things to do. Uh, number two is just to read. Uh, I always heard that leaders were readers and it's not something that I uh, really liked to do when I was young, but by the time I was in high school and college, I saw the value in being a learner and reading. And what I would do is I've had so many different books and people that I've read on different aspects of my life, but really beginning to understand the purpose of why you want to read that and understanding uh, what gives you a sense of life and brings life into your very being. And for me, it was reading everything that I could on spiritual growth and the Bible and uh, just, I wanted to grow. And I had people in my life who demonstrated this and it was absolutely amazing. And so uh, reading is a key thing that if you want to grow, uh, we have to be willing to learn and take time and be willing uh, to, to challenge our mind and not, not to become stagnant like we talked about early on in the episode. And so uh, reading the word of God, getting around other people who love to pray, who have joy, um, who want to grow spiritually together, being part of communities that are intentional, whether that's uh, a nonprofit, whether it's a church, finding people who are like-minded and being willing to grow. And God speaks to you through different authors and different people in different groups at different points in your life. And you can't grow into something uh, that your lifestyle isn't congruent with at that point. And so God's always going to meet you where you're at. And so I've had different seasons where there was maybe one or two authors that were just really speaking to me. And so I stayed with them until I felt like their message became part of who I was. And it helped, uh, help, helped me understand a certain aspect of who God was or how to understand scripture in its entirety. And so it's important for us to be discerning in that because there's so much information out there right now that uh, there's a lot of things that are false or partial truths. And so you want to do your research and you want to be smart in the things that you're reading as well and that there's credibility, there's accountability there um, and have people in your life where you invite them in uh, that can help model different things for you and also uh, help you understand things that maybe are confusing for you. So having mentors and coaches and inviting them in, being open and humble enough to receive correction and humility is another big thing. So those are just some of the practical things in my life that has uh, stirred me to hunger and, and growth. And I'll close with this story because as I was kind of thinking about this episode, I was thinking about in John chapter five, the pool of Bethesda. And if you were familiar with the show, The Chosen, uh, there's a scene, I believe, in the first or second episode of season two, 
with the pool of Bethesda. And the pool of Bethesda in scripture had five of these other pools around it. And what happened is that all those sick and the crippled uh, and the lame in society were brought to these pools in order to be healed because it was said that they had healing powers. And so there were so many people who just laid around and waited for the waters to be stirred because it said that an angel of the Lord would come and stir the water. And then there would be a rush of people who would try to get into the pool first. And the ones who got there first were often healed. And I love how the chosen depicts this scene because the person of Jesse, it said who had been there for almost, I believe it was 34 years is sitting there. And Jesus walks up with Matthew and Peter, and I believe there was one other one. And they watch Jesus go up to Jesse. And Jesus bends down, and he's got this smile on his face, and he says, do you want to be healed? And Jesse is, is, is asking him, who are you? And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And then Jesse goes in, and he starts giving all these reasons of why he can't be healed. He says, whether I uh, someone comes to get me. I can never get there soon enough. And everybody else always gets in before me or when I'm ready, the angel of the Lord never comes down and stirs up the water. And Jesus with this ever so gentle smile just looks at him and he says, that's not the question I asked you. I said, do you want to be healed? And then all of a sudden, Jesse just starts to weep. And yeah, I believe he starts to imagine what it might be like to actually be healed because for so many years, this is what he's known and this has become his normal. And so now someone's asking him, does he want to be healed? He has to think about it. He has to take ownership in it and he has to take the initiative of answering him. And so finally he gets the courage up and he says, yes, I do want to be healed. And Jesus heals him and he looks at him and he says, now get up. And as he begins to take notice, he touches his leg and he begins to move it and he begins to have filled with this level of joy. And as he stands up, Jesus just kisses him on the forehead and walks away. And I love how they capture this as well, because then Peter comes over. And while meanwhile, Matthew's writing and he's describing this or writing it in his book to be able to capture it for a later time of writing. And Peter walks up and he says, don't forget your man. And Jesse says, why is that significant? And Peter says, because everything now has changed and you don't need that anymore. And Peter walks away. So Jesse bends down, he gets it and he begins to walk in the Pharisees and everybody else at the pool take notice of what's just happened. And I love that scene. And every time I watch it, every time I read this, I just begin to weep because of the kindness and the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. But he recently hears what the Lord has showed me in that story as well. The pool of Bethesda and the five pools often represent healing. And the number five in scripture, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is equated with grace. And where Jesus was and where Jesus is, is full of grace. And when there's grace, there's healing power that is available because God's grace is above everything else in this world. It is of the kingdom. And for so many of us, when we have this stagnant mindset, it's like we're sitting at the pool of Bethesda waiting for someone else to come 
and to do something for us. If I can be honest, a lot of times what we do when we go to a conference or when we go to church is we wait for someone else to feed us and we try to expect that what they feed us or what they do for us is going to change us when we're not willing to put in the time ourselves to allow the Lord to minister to us and, and to be the, the one that we're seeking. Because we can have an encounter with God as a new covenant believer. And what I heard the Lord saying as I've read the story recently is he saying, why are you waiting for someone else to stir up your spirit when you can interact with me personally and live an abiding lifestyle that remains in me because I'll walk with you and I'll show you things that no ear has heard, no eye has seen. Scripture says that in many places, and I believe that's Jesus's heart. And if we're willing to embrace Jesus and take him at his word, just like Jesse was. He had to think about it first because when we follow Jesus, it requires us to lose our life in order to find it, it says. And that's what I want to encourage you and end this episode with today, that Jesus is inviting you into the waters. He wants to stir your spirit up in a way that creates hunger and desire. And as you hunger and desire in Matthew 6, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God and all these other things will be added unto you. That is the promise of scripture that we have today to know that seeking him and his kingdom will produce the fruit in us for us to grow and to expand because that is God's desire for your life. And as you grow and expand your capacity, your resilience, your character, your sense of identity is going to become stronger so that you won't be overwhelmed as quickly, that you'll be able to recover and you'll be able to help restore others to the heart of the Father because that's what he's done in your life. And if we're allowing ourselves to grow in the good soil of grace, our lives are going to produce fruit that is far greater than anything that we could produce on our own or in our own strength. So find your strength in him today and examine where's the foundation of your life planted? Where are the roots of your life planted? And if they're in him, may they produce a hundredfold fruit as we looked at on Monday about the good soil of our heart and cultivating our heart in such a way where we welcome it we invite him in and we seek him. So Father, stir up our hunger. Stir up the desire to meet with you in the everyday places so that we could just continue to seek you, to meet you, and experience you in new ways. Friends, thanks for being present today, and I hope you'll come back and join me on Friday. God's strength today to you.